Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Father, we pray tonight that you would, um, you would teach us, even from Peter's fall here, teach us, sober us, and again tonight, show us the mercy of our Lord Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Poor Peter, right? For all the good that the Lord did through Peter, for all the preaching and the writing and the gospel labors that he undertook in his life, some of which continue to bless us to this day, for all the blessing that the Lord poured out through this man, one of the things we remember most about Simon Peter is this sad series of events at the end of Matthew 26, this series of denials of his master. Isn't that how we sometimes remember Peter? It's quite possible, I think, that we remember Peter's denials just as well as we remember his sermons, great as those sermons were. I don't think it was probably that way in his own lifetime. But at this distance, as we read about Peter in the New Testament, it seems to me that his stumbles perhaps loom just as large to us as his successes. And whether we like it or not, it may at times be that way in our own lives too. Sin has a way sometimes of clinging to our reputations, doesn't it? As much or even more than all the upright things that we've done. Sin is kind of like cigarette smoke, the smell of which seems far more difficult to get off of your clothing than just about any good smell that you can think of. And in some ways, that was perhaps true of Simon Peter's sin as well, at least as we remember him. He's quite possibly, I think, remembered today as much for his stumbles as he is for his successes. But to whatever extent that is true, to whatever extent Peter's faults tend to be among the greatest highlights of his biography, I want to say tonight, say to you tonight that this too is of the Lord. It is not an accident that Peter's threefold denial of Christ is recorded in all four Gospels. The Holy Spirit wants us to remember these events, wants us to remember Peter out in the courtyard while Jesus is inside being tried by the high priest. The Holy Spirit wants us to remember Peter out in the courtyard denying Jesus three times, and the Holy Spirit wants us to learn from that. Indeed, the Holy Spirit means for these events too, alongside Peter's writings and his sermons and his successes, the Holy Spirit means for the record of Peter's stumbles too to be a blessing to us, a blessing to the church of Jesus Christ. And we're going 
to try and take his stumbles that way this evening as a blessing that we can learn from. The stumbles themselves, not a blessing, but the fact that they teach us is. We're going to spend some time this evening dissecting Peter's faults and his sins, not in order to get some sort of sick pleasure out of chopping down one of the Lord's great oaks of righteousness, but in order that in observing how Peter went wrong, in observing how Peter fell, we might learn some things about ourselves and take warning. And also in order that we might have Peter as a backdrop against which we might see once again the great mercy of our Lord Jesus toward people who fall. And just to prove that we're not trying to pick on Peter tonight, let me begin by pointing out to you something positive about his actions that night. Do you remember what had happened with Jesus' disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane just a little before Peter's sad denials of his master? A crowd came to arrest Jesus, you remember, with swords and clubs, and after some initial resistance by Peter himself, we were told in verse 56 that all the disciples left him and fled. All the disciples, Peter evidently included, scattered from the Lord and into the night. And of course, that in and of itself was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, but it was also a demonstration of the weakness of Jesus' disciples. All the disciples left him and fled. But then, do you remember what happened in verse 58? We read it on Sunday. As Jesus was taken away to the house of the high priest, Peter was following him, we read. Verse 58, but Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. John chapter 18 reports this as well and tells us that there was one other disciple with Peter. So Peter, weak as he had just proven himself in the garden, And weak as he was about to prove himself when people began recognizing his connection with Jesus, Peter was one of two disciples who, after they left him and fled, came back and followed Jesus to his trial before the high priest. Now, yes, we're told in verse 58 that Peter was following him at a distance, which, as the great commentator J.C. Ryle points out, is not the best form for a disciple of the Lord, but I say to you that at least Peter followed. At least he followed. And as we focus on verses 69 through 75 tonight, which we read, we must remind ourselves that at least Peter was there in the priest's courtyard to be accused as a follower of Jesus in the first place. And so before we dissect and lament Peter's sad denials, and we must do both, But before we do, before we begin to critique Peter, and even before we begin to ask ourselves if we might not also have denied the Lord in the same way, let's ask ourselves if we'd have even followed Jesus as far as Peter did. Let's ask ourselves if we'd have even been in position to have been recognized as one of Jesus' followers in the courtyard of the high priest that night. Peter was not all bad that night, And yet he did do quite badly, didn't he? He did stumble quite significantly. In spite of his protests to the contrary, back in verses 33 and 35, Peter did fall hard. 
that night. And I just want to look at a couple of aspects of his weakness and his fall this evening, both from verses 69 through 75, which we read, and then also reaching back into the prior parts of this chapter and into other portions of the Gospels as well. And in observing Peter's weakness and Peter's fall, I think we'll see some, some aspects of our own spiritual fragility as well, and that's what we should be looking for. So first of all, notice with me how Peter seems to have been a man of strong impulses. Peter seems to have been a man of strong impulses. Have you noticed this about Peter, especially at this early stage of his discipleship? Peter was often the most eager, the most vocal, the most self-confident of all Jesus' disciples. It was Peter, in Matthew 16, who was quick to rebuke Jesus when Jesus prophesied his own death. It was Peter, in chapter 17, who was willing to open his mouth on the Mount of Transfiguration when he probably should have just been listening. And it was Peter, here in chapter 26, who was first to contend that he'd never fall away, that he'd die with Jesus, not deny Jesus. Furthermore, the Gospel of John tells us that Peter was the disciple whom Matthew reports here in verse 51 as wielding a sword in defense of the Lord Jesus. And on that first Easter morning when Mary Magdalene came to the disciples and reported that the tomb was empty, Peter got up and ran to the tomb and was the first of the eleven to look inside. And some days later, when the risen Christ appeared to his disciples on the lake shore as they were out fishing on the Sea of Galilee, it was Peter who threw himself into the sea and swam to meet him. Peter, it seems to me, was quite an impulsive character, especially, I say, in the early years of his discipleship. Some of his impulses were for the better, And sometimes they were for the worse. But for better or for worse, Peter seems to have lived at at times on the cliff edge of his emotions. And though none of the gospel writers makes this point directly, I think it's not inaccurate to say that those who live in this way, those who are emotionally charged, those who are impulsive, are much more likely to find themselves at the extremes at which we often find Peter. The emotionally charged, the impulsive among us are perhaps, on the one hand, much more likely to jump out of the boat and swim like mad for Jesus when he shows himself to us. And that can be a beautiful thing. But those same emotional people are perhaps also much more likely to say and do quite foolish things as well, like Peter was often guilty of saying and doing. And of all the foolish things that Peter said and did, his threefold denial of Jesus in the high priest's courtyard was the most foolish and the most extreme, I think you'll agree. But if we had known Peter, I wonder if we might have almost seen it coming. Because Peter so often lived, as I said, on the cliff edge of his emotions and his impulses, that it is perhaps... Not all that surprising that when he finally fell over the ledge, he fell really hard. And perhaps that serves as a warning to some of us this evening. Those of us who are the most emotional, those of us who are the most adamant in some of our religious feelings, the most willing to speak those feelings aloud, can sometimes be the same ones who fall the hardest and who make the biggest hashes of things. And so we must beware. We must cultivate self-control. If we are emotional people, we must learn to trust in Christ and not in our own impulses or emotions. 
Now, again, neither Matthew here nor the other gospel writers makes this point about Peter explicitly. And it's quite possible, perhaps likely even, that any of the other 11 disciples, had they been questioned like Peter was that night, might have fallen just as hard, might have denied Peter just like Jesus did. But I just can't help but notice that it was the impulsive one who fell so hard that night. And I can't help but issue a warning to us along those lines if that is our personality. So that's the first thing to notice about Simon Peter, the inherent weakness of his impulsive nature. But then there's something else to notice as well that others have noticed before, namely that the escalation of Peter's sin. The escalation of Peter's sin. Have you ever noticed how Peter's denials of Jesus get worse as the night wears on? The way of sin is downhill, comments Matthew Henry on these verses. The way of sin is downhill, and just look at how downhill it was for Peter here. When he's first pegged as having been with Jesus by the servant girl in verse 69, Peter responds in verse 70 with what the commentator R.T. France rightly calls evasion. Or in the words of Matthew Henry, he pretended that he did not understand the charge. I never noticed this before until I read those two commentators, but that is what Peter is doing here, isn't he? He's evading the question in verse 70. I do not know what you are talking about. And then it gets worse when in verse 71 he's accused the second time. His response in verse 72, and again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. So do you see the escalation here? He denies Jesus again, but this time with an oath. Perhaps something like when we say, I swear to you, I swear to you that I did not do such and such. And then when someone picks up on his Galilean accent in verse 73 and concludes that this man with this accent must be a follower of Jesus, Peter's downhill slide continues even further in verse 74. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. Matthew Henry had it right, did he not? The way of sin is downhill. I think some of you heard something along these same lines at the True Woman Conference this past weekend. A little compromise leads to an even bigger transgression, which leads to an even worse sin yet. And that's what we see with Peter here. Hey, you were one of those who were with Jesus, weren't you? I do not know what you are talking about. Wait a minute. This fellow here was with Jesus, and he takes an oath upon his lips and says, I do not know the man. Hey, listen to your Galilean accent. You must be one of his disciples. And Peter's words in verse 74 cannot be repeated in full because they are so foul and so inappropriate as he curses and swears. Indeed, the same might even be true of Peter's oath in verse 72. It too might have been too inappropriate for Matthew to quote directly. But in verse 74, his language has now gotten worse. Now these are the same lips which had made that great confession in Matthew 16, 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the same man who had said to Jesus in John chapter 6, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. But now, in the words of James, from the same mouth come both blessing and 
cursing. And as Matthew shows us, it didn't happen all at once. The first denial was bad enough, but it was followed by a more serious one, which was then followed by an even uglier denial still. And this is how sin so often works. The way of sin is downhill. If you do not repent of them, the sins that seem today to be relatively minor and casual can balloon very quickly to a place where some of your friends, if they were to look over your shoulder and see what was really going on in your life, they'd be absolutely shocked at some of the things that might be coming out of your mouth and other things that you're allowing to go in through the gate of your eyes. The way of sin is downhill. A little denial of Jesus here or there, whether by our words or our deeds, can snowball into much, much more, and we see that with Peter. And that's the second thing to notice this evening, Peter's impulsiveness and the way his sin escalated. And we can all perhaps learn from both of those observations. But I think that one of the biggest lessons we must learn from Peter and one of the most basic lessons, really, from these final verses of Matthew 26 is simply to notice how fragile we all really are how fragile we are spiritually. The specific details of our fragility and our falls into sin may not always be identical to what we see here with Peter, but we all can fall like Peter fell, can't we? We all can fall. Here's a man who walked with Jesus for three years, up close and personal, in the flesh, day by day, He saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. He saw the miracles. He heard the teachings. And make no mistake, Peter loved the Lord Jesus. But when the screws were tightened, and when Peter began to sense the heat of persecution burning underneath his own feet, he denied his master three times over. And I say to you that without the help And without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, you and I could do the very same thing. And that's one of the most important things to be said from this passage. You and I could do the very same thing. I think this is why the Holy Spirit has put this in here in all four Gospels. Because we can fall too. And if we think there's no way that we wouldn't, if we think that we would never turn out like Peter did on that night then we have probably either overestimated our own strength, like Peter seems to have done back in verses 33 and 35, or perhaps we've underestimated just how difficult it can be to own the Lord Jesus when doing so may really hurt. It's quite conceivable that very bad things could have happened to Peter that night had the Jewish leaders chosen not only to try the Lord Jesus, but to hunt down his followers as well. And very few, if any of us, have ever faced such a situation. Very few, if any of us, have ever faced a real live scenario in which admitting that we follow Christ could mean physical harm or jail time or being disowned by family or even death. But if we ever do, if we ever do face something that serious, we will discover very quickly that it is not our strong wills that keep us afloat in those times. We hear stories sometimes of the persecuted church in different places in the world, and it seems to me that more often than not, God's people stand. 
Praise God for that. More often than not, Christians under severe persecution do not seem to cave like Peter caved. But there are those who do, I'm sure. Even true believers like Peter surely was. There are those who face the pressure and who momentarily melt. And even among the many who do not, I'm sure that many of them would tell you that they were deathly afraid that they would. Because they knew how weak they really were apart from the Holy Spirit's help. They knew how frail they were if God did not strengthen them. And we must know the same. Now we live in a culture in which it's fairly easy to claim Christ. There's very little persecution to speak of. And so when we do make a little stand for the Lord somehow, sometimes we may become puffed up. We may think that we're pretty bold after all. But I simply say to you from the example of Peter that we have no idea how wobbly our knees might become if the furnace was ever turned up to seven times its normal heat. I'm not by any means suggesting that we would all cave in like Peter did. By God's grace, I think many, many of us would stand. But it wouldn't be because we were so strong. Because quite frankly, we just really aren't. We're not any stronger than Peter was. But Christ is strong, and the Holy Spirit is strong, and so we must rely on them. We must be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, and not strong in our own self-confidence, because we're all weaker than we think. That's the biggest lesson we can learn about ourselves as we look into the mirror of Peter's denials. We are all weaker than we think. We are weak, as Anna Warner put it in that famous hymn, Jesus Loves Me, which many of us learned as children. We are weak, but he is strong. So simple, yet so true. We are weak, but he is strong. And Jesus did show himself strong for Simon Peter. How so? Well, it's well to note here that Luke tells us something about Jesus' interactions with Peter that Matthew does not record. Matthew records for us both in verse 34 and again in verse 75 here, Jesus' words to Peter, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. That's what Matthew tells us, and of course, those words of Jesus proved true. But Luke informs us that Jesus not only told Peter that he would stumble in this way, but also that Jesus himself had prayed for Peter that his faith may not fail. Let me read it to you in Luke twenty-two, thirty-one to 32. These are the words of Jesus. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. Now, did you hear it there in Luke 22? Jesus intimated to Peter that he was going to turn away under the devil's pressure. That much is implied by the fact that he tells Peter what he must do when he has turned again. If Peter will turn again, that presupposes that he will turn away. And two verses later, Jesus will inform Peter, more specifically in Luke 22, about the rooster and the three denials that we read about here in Matthew. So Peter is going to stumble, Jesus says. 
But I have prayed for you, he says, that your faith may not fail. Isn't that marvelous? Yes, you're going to fail me tonight, Peter. But your faith will not fail in an ultimate sense. You're going to fall away because of me this night. Matthew 26, 31. But I won't let you fall away forever. You won't fall so far as never to return. You won't lose your faith, Peter. And as assuredly as Jesus' words prove true concerning the rooster and the denials, so also his words would prove true about Peter's turning again. Peter would turn again. Some commentators believe that we see the beginnings of that turning again, even in Peter's bitter weeping here in verse 75. And there is, of course, that remarkable scene of restoration with Jesus and Peter in the final chapter of the Gospel of John. And there is all the good that Peter subsequently did in Jesus' name. So do you see, Peter failed Jesus that night, but his faith did not fail ultimately. Because Jesus prayed for him. Because Jesus was strong, even when Peter was weak. And that's so good to see, I hope, for you. Because at the end of the day, all of us, each one of you and me as well, all of us on certain days are going to look a lot like Peter. We may not always deny Jesus with our words and in such a public way as to be remembered by generations to come, Hopefully we won't, but we all find ourselves doing certain things which if someone were to look over our shoulder or to peek into our house to see what we were up to, they'd have a hard time imagining that these people are actually followers of Christ. If people could sometimes hear the things we say to our spouses or our children or the murmuring that we do about certain other people, I wonder if they'd think we were Christians. If our neighbors could observe the sorts of things that we sometimes tolerate or even pull up on our various TV and computer and mobile phone screens, if our coworkers could examine our business papers and measure our integrity thereby, if if people saw how we sometimes ignore our Bibles and resort to every solution but prayer when we're in difficulty, if our families could somehow see the thoughts that play on the video screens of our minds and the words that run through our heads, well might they wonder if we are really followers of Jesus at all. Do you see what I'm getting at? You catch any one of us in a snapshot moment and our behavior might well deny Jesus outright. Even if we never said the sorts of things that Peter said in these verses. We are weak. But Jesus is strong. He is strong. Strong enough to lay down his life for our sins, even the ugliest among them. Strong in his prayers for us that our faith may not fail. Strong to bring us to repentance and to restore us to usefulness even after we've fallen. Strong. So you put your trust in him tonight. Do not any longer say with Peter, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. No, no, don't talk like that. Just admit that you're weaker, far weaker than perhaps you once thought. And trust no longer in your own strength, but in Jesus, 
Put confidence no longer in your own power, but in the prayers of Jesus on your behalf. And when you fall, weep bitterly, yes, but bring your tears and bring the sins behind them to Jesus, whose blood cleanses us from all sin and who is coming someday to wipe away every tear from our eyes. We are weak, but he is strong.